Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Greetings, fellow time travelers. Glad to have you with me once again as we journey through history together. Before we get started on today's episode, big thanks as always to all of those who have already joined my Patreon.com site because it's the financial support from that online presence that enables all of the other things that Paul and I do. So if you're not a member and you'd like to join and become part of the family, go to Patreon.com, search for me by name, join up, follow the instructions, part with a bit of cash. Uh, It's cheaper by the year, but you can also pay monthly. And you get access, you become a member of the community of curious, like-minded, thoughtful, thinking, history lovers. It's a weekly Q&A, there's vodcasts and podcasts and all the rest. And it'd be great to have you as part of the family, the more the merrier. Anyway, that's enough of the advert. Time to strap into the time machine as we set off on the next stop on my love letter to the world. Recorder, microphone, action. The world's most successful smash-and-grab specialists are on the prowl, hitting with devastating power and violence right across Europe, raiding, plundering and extorting vast amounts of protection money from cowering cities all over the continent. Exhausted financially and physically, the Kingdom of West Francia strikes a deal in exchange for converting to Christianity, taking a bride and promising to fight off any future invasions. The King of West Francia hands over a vast swathe of land to the Viking Hardmen. Endeavouring to understand history in hopes of illuminating the future, I'm Neil Oliver and this is my love letter to the world. Hi Neil. In the last episode, we saw the Vikings' great heathen army sweep across the Long Island of Britain before being halted in their tracks. Which moment in history are we heading to this week? Morning, Paul. Well, there's no getting away from the Scandinavian strongmen in the 10th century, that's for sure. Uh, Not only have they been battering Britain, they've also been flexing their muscles all over Europe as well. Paris is constantly besieged and brought to its knees until finally King Charles III of West Francia decides enough is enough. He needs a solution. The year is 9-11 AD and we're travelling to north-central France for a meeting which will have profound implications for future generations. We're in saint clair sur epte as King Charles sits down with Rollo, the leader of the Northmen. We're, uh, we're with people that we've spent a little bit of time with recently. We're back in that territory of the of the West Franks, the territory of Charlemagne and 
basically we're in what we would regard as France and also with us once more are Vikings who are continuing to make their presence felt all over Europe. Specifically, we're dealing with um, a king of West Francia called, well, he's Charles III, uh, but because there were a lot of Charleses, uh, they, they often had nicknames, and this guy was known in his lifetime as Charles the Simple, uh, which tends to make us think that maybe he was a little bit um, slow of thought, but on the contrary, in the context in which he grew up, the epithet of simple meant that he was straight-talking and straightforward. So actually, it's a good thing to be called in his time. Charles the Simple, Charles the Straightforward Stand-Up Guy. That said, he had been a king in trouble. He was living in troubled times in a troubled part of the world. By the first decade of the 10th century, it's 9-11 in fact, that's an easy number to remember, isn't it, in our 21st century consciousness. So in 9-11, or by 9-11, the kingdom, his kingdom of West Francia, was absolutely exhausted, shagged out, you might say, uh, on account of decades, decades of Viking raids. By his time, by, the, by Charles the Simple's time, they had been going on for a lifetime. Remember, we, we first encountered the, the Vikings at Lindisfarne, at the end of the 8th century, uh, off the Northumbrian coast of England. Well, really, ever since then, and increasingly, they had been making trouble all over northern, western Europe. So Britain had felt them, Ireland had felt them, uh, certainly France had felt them, and they, uh, elsewhere besides. For Charles the Simple and the West Franks, the Vikings were actually a permanent fixture by then. They were settled, more or less, at the mouth of the Seine River, so they were they, they were never going home. Where to begin with it had been like seasonal raiding. Now it just felt to the West Franks like the, the Vikings were there consistently, continuously, which they may well have been. On the we'll deal with the moment really on the the moment of moments in this uh, in this love letter to the world. On September the first, nine eleven, the leader of those Vikings who were sat like cuckoos in the nest at the mouth of the Seine River. Uh, it was a man called R Rollo, and he was a giant of a figure. Now, again, we've always got to allow for artistic licence. Maybe they bigged him up because he was a, an effective leader. But it, it does appear in this case that he was a physically intimidating individual. It was said about him in his lifetime that he couldn't ride a horse because there wasn't a horse big enough to take him. So he was known as Rollo the Walker. He had to walk everywhere. On this day, 1st of September, 9-11, he has come to a place called Saint-Clair-sur-Ept to convert to Christianity. Now, if that rings bells, it's because you might be remembering that that's what Guthrum the Viking did for Alfred, Alfred the Great in England. There had been trouble between the Vikings and the, and the Anglo-Saxons in Wessex, and it, it, it was settled by a peace treaty uh, which included... Guthrum converting to Christianity. Well, come forward in time a bit and Rollo has turned up to do the same for Charles the Simple at Saint-Clair-sur-Ept. But he's also come for considerably more besides. He hasn't just come to become a Christian. It's very much a peace treaty and in return for converting to Christianity and agreeing to make no more trouble, 
he was to take possession of a huge swatch of West Francia. He was being given land to buy him off. Earlier in the sort of um, run-up to the treaty, Charles had tried to fob him off by giving him Flanders, which most modern listeners will associate with the First World War if they associate it with anything at all. Uh, and Rollo quite accurately had declined the offer of Flanders because he had taken one look at it and and had seen it for what it was, which is to say a bit of a morass, you know, undrained, soggy, wet mess. And the Vikings were fundamentally farmers and they needed land. If they were going to take land and settle it, it needed to be somewhere they could grow crops and keep animals. So he knocked back the offer of Flanders and instead Charles offered him a portion of land stretching from the English Channel in the north-west, all the way to the banks of the River Seine. Some of the most fertile land in all of West Francia, as it turned out. This was to become in time the Duchy of Normandy. And Normandy literally means the land of the Northmen, the Vikings. So in in the name itself, it's telling the story of what happened to that territory. It was given away to the Northmen. He was also given the hand in marriage of Gisela, Charles's daughter, a bride, so there's a bride as well thrown into the the deal. So it was it was a sweet deal for Rollo. He was getting a huge territory of excellent farmland and a wife. If you remember from the Guthrum story, there's, there was a bit of obeisance required. You know, there was a bit of submitting, literally and but mostly metaphorically, one to the other, and in order to effect the treaty. Rollo had to kind of bow down to Charles. And what he was technically required to do was to kneel and kiss Charles's foot. And he didn't. <laughs> what he did was he kind of nodded to one of his lieutenants, one of his henchmen, who was also big, but maybe not quite as big as Rollo. And this guy, reluctantly or not, came over to the much smaller form of Charles the Simple. And he bent down and he, he took Charles's leg by the ankle and lifted it up rather than kneel down he lifted his leg up towards his face and lifted it so high that Charles fell flat on his back you know so it was quite a it was quite a scene and so in in trying to effect an act of submission from Rollo effectively he ended up floored in front of the Vikings now I don't know maybe that was symbolic maybe it was intentional hard to tell anyway the whole thing was glossed over it's important to know, I mentioned that Charles had inherited a, a kingdom that was just done in on account of Vikings. There had been raids decade after decade from before Charles was even walking the earth. There were reasons for that. The presence of the Loire and the Seine rivers meant that the, the Vikings, who, who depended on their boats, could get right in, they could penetrate France. It was the same thing that the Swedish Vikings did in the land that became Russia. They crossed the Baltic and, and went in through the rivers. It was a very effective technique for them. Uh, so the, that part of Western France was very vulnerable to them and Paris was an easy target. The Vikings quickly identified Paris as somewhere wealthy. So they came again and again and again. And in fact, in 845, that's how you know long before Charles, in 845 AD, Reginerus the Viking who may actually, interestingly, may have inspired the legendary figure Ragnar Lothbrok, or Lodbrok. His nickname, Lothbrok, meant hairy trousers, hairy breeches, uh, which apparently were actually fur trousers made for him by his wife. 
And we've talked about the great heathen army, the Michael heathen Hera. When they came, that was apparently, in part, revenge by Ragnar's sons. The, 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 the Michael heathen Hera, the great heathen army, was led by two of Ragnar's own sons who had come to take revenge on the Anglo-Saxon king Ayla, who had killed Ragnar by, according to the story, casting him into a pit full of snakes. Now, given that that must have happened in England, it's hard to imagine where he could have got his hands on enough venomous snakes. But nonetheless, that's the story. But the same figure, Regenerus, in 845, had laid siege to Paris. And the king at the time, who was another Charles, this time Charles the Bald, let's imagine that simply describes a man with less hair on his head than most, Charles the Bald had to buy Regenerus off with £7,000 weight 7,000 pounds in weight of gold and silver. To imagine what a pile of booty that was. That's what had been going on for decades. The West Franks and others, the same in England, the attempt was made again and again and again to buy these people off with blood money. It just you know, just bribe them to, to leave you alone. And, and of course, as any right-thinking person would realise, they would just take the money and then a little while later they'd come back and demand more. So it's like protection then? They are, they're exactly, they're, they're, they're basically demanding protection money. Give us gold and silver and we won't hurt you. But they keep on asking for more and more gold and silver. They're obviously such a powerful force over such a long period of time as well. It, it, does, it does make you speculate about exactly what was going on because they're far from home and there are limits to how many men they can bring. I mean, they're not even coming from particularly populous countries. Norway, Sweden and Denmark in the 8th, 9th, 10th centuries, you know, you're not dealing with huge populations. It has been speculated that the Vikings were on the move in those centuries because the available farming land was under pressure. There wasn't enough land to go round. But then there never was much arable land. In certain places like Norway, you can imagine, given the terrain. So it does make you speculate about just how intimidating the Vikings must have been. And also the extent to which, at that time perhaps, you know, we've we've dealt with the fact that Charlemagne was quite something, but that his descendants weren't, that they were lesser figures. And it, it may have been for want of backbone, to some extent. You know, I mean, let's remember that Charlemagne's ancestor, Charles Martel, turned back the Muslim army at Tours in 732. And again, Charles Martel, who would produce Charlemagne, you know, men of will, men of backbone. And that, that seems to have made all the difference. So we might, maybe we're looking at a failure of confidence. You know, that, that idea that, you know, Kenneth Clark, the historian, talks about that civilizations collapse because of a lack of confidence. It's not just down to the strength of the barbarians beyond the walls. It comes down to the spirit and the the calibre and the quality of the people inside the walls. But yes, like you, I've often wondered, how many boatloads of Vikings was it that they were able to put such pressure on an entire kingdom? It does speak to more of a lack going on amongst the resident population. In any event, it was grim. I mean, I've got a quote. It was, by the 860s, there was a, a monk called Ermentarius, and he was in a monastery on the Atlantic coast of West Francia, looking towards the island of Noirmoutier, which, which by then had become a base. The Vikings were based on the island of Noirmoutier. But from, from his uh, monastery, er, er, Ermentarius said, 
The number of ships grows, the endless stream of Vikings never ceases to increase. Everywhere the Christians are victims of massacres, burnings, plunderings. The Vikings conquer all in their path and no one resists them. That might be a key phrase, no one resists them. They seize Bordeaux, Perigot, Limoges, Angoulême and Toulouse, Angers, Tours and Orléans are annihilated. There's Tours. The very, the very town, the very city that, that Charles Martel defended and from which he pushed back the Muslim horde, annihilated and an innumerable fleet sails up the Seine and the evil grows in the whole region. Rouen is laid waste, plundered and burnt. Paris, Beauvais and Meaux taken. Malin's strong fortress levelled to the ground. Chartres occupied, Evreux and Bayeux plundered and every town besieged. You know, it's, it's, it's total... It's all over West Francia, and it does make you wonder uh, what was going on with the West Franks, that they, they weren't able to show enough backbone to turn this back until Charles the Simple took the step of giving away you know, a vast swathe of territory. Prior to Charles the Simple t- taking control, the whole area of West Francia was, was controlled by a de facto king, Odo, the Count of Paris. Uh, now he was he functioned as the de facto king from 888 to 898, a decade. Charles had actually been crowned as the legitimate king in 893, but Odo was the preferred choice of the nobility. Don't know why he was preferred. Maybe he seemed to them a stronger character, but in any event, he hadn't been able to turn back the Vikings either. But Odo died anyway in 898, and Charles properly came into his kingship and inherited this land that was so put upon and effectively the whole place was besieged by Vikings. Another siege of Paris had ended in 886, but after it was over, Rollo, the same Rollo, had kept his men in the area, just raiding at will. So it was reaching a tipping point where even paying them off, even giving them protection money, they weren't even leaving. So, so the whole thing was getting, it was approaching a critical mass. Uh, and you know that payment of seven thousand pounds of of gold and silver by Charles the Bald back in eight four five that had only been the first of May. So the the, the coffers, the royal coffers, were hemorrhaging wealth uh, it, towards the Vikings, and it was Charles the Simple, Charles the Straight Talking, Charles the Straightforward, who just realised that this cannot go on. Money's not going to do it, and he realised, and he was in part he was advised by the people around him that really what the Vikings wanted was land. You know, there's a, there's a difference between just giving people cash. It's a bit like that thing about, you know, give a man a fish and he'll eat for today, but give him a fishing rod and he'll feed him himself and his family for the rest of his life. You know, they realised that they could possibly, if they gave them land and allowed these people to settle and make lives for themselves, that they would be transformed. You know, they would become people for whom the land itself was something worth protecting. It would transform them from itinerants, wanderers, vagrants into permanent fellow residents, fellow tenants. So there was a there was considerable wisdom in what was being proposed. You know, bring these people and have them inside the tent pissing out rather than outside the tent pissing in. And key, absolutely key to that was the conversion to Christianity. That said a lot, it wasn't just about giving them land and letting them be Vikings and, and do their Viking thing, or, or at least not on the face of it. There had to be a demonstration that they would become what they had once beheld, which is to say, like the French, like the Franks. 
So becoming Christian, joining that big club of Christianity was a crucial bargaining chip because, of course, in terms of Christianity, a Christian must not harm a fellow Christian. You know, in the same way that a Muslim must not harm a fellow Muslim. You know, once people are brought in, then there are obligations that come with it. And what was being proposed by Charles for Rollo and his men was that they would take Normandy, the Duchy of Normandy, but they would defend it against more of the Vikings. This is the genius. You know, that you have to, you, you not only farm there, you not only live there and, and take the benefit of it, but if more of your own kind come from the north, you, it's up to you, you've got to push them back. So what Charles was effectively doing was creating a buffer state between himself and the trouble. You know, so there's a, there's a lot of clever diplomacy going on here, a lot of clever thinking. Some of the success had to come down to Rollo keeping his end of the bargain. You know, you, I suppose you could say that he could just have taken Normandy and then continued to push for the rest of West Francia. You know, he could have made that his base to try and conquer the whole place, but he didn't. And the history shows that after the Treaty of Saint Clair sur Epte, there was no more trouble. There were no more Viking raids. So, it worked. It was a genius move. And again, it, it all comes down to the personalities involved. Rollo had to keep his end of the bargain. Charles the Simple clearly had to live up to his name. He must have done some straight talking. He must have impressed upon Rollo and the Vikings that, look, there's a situation here. We can go from this constantly being at each other's throats, uh, which is a strain on everyone, or you can have some land, you can do your thing, you can become Christians, you can become like us. And he sold it. He sold it to the Vikings. So, you know, cast your minds back, you know, it's a significant moment when Rollo's henchman approaches Charles the Simple and lifts up his ankle and makes him fall over. In that moment, you might say, those Vikings became Franks. They joined the big club of Christian West Francia. And more Northmen came. You know, uh, Rollo put out the call, to some extent, to his own people and brought them in not to raid, but to become peaceful settlers. You, know, you can imagine, in a couple of boatloads of, of his men, there weren't enough people to populate it. They would need women. They would need to bring wives. Or need to, you know, the, the whole thing would have to become a, a living, thriving community, which is what it did. But they, they did. They adopted Frankish ways. They became Christian to such an extent that 100 years there or thereabouts after the death of Rollo, the Duchy of Normandy was held by one of his descendants, who was known to all and sundry as William the Bastard. He was William the Bastard because his mother had not been married to his father, who was Robert I of Normandy. But these, these people are all in direct descent from Rollo. William the Bastard came into his inheritance, the Duchy of Normandy, in 1035, and then spent the next pretty much quarter of a century fighting tooth and nail to secure his holdings, to secure his throne. And once he had settled the matter of Normandy, six years later, William the Bastard invaded England in 1066. So the last laugh, really, on behalf of every Viking before William the Bastard, I mean, you might as well think of William the Bastard as being a wolf in sheep's clothing or a Viking under the skin. And he it was, a Viking, who conquered the English throne. You know, after all that time, after Lindisfarne and everything that happened after, after the coming of the great heathen army, 
and the Dane law and all of the rest of it. 100 years after the death of Rollo, his direct descendant, William the Bastard, came across and became King of England. Final last hurrah, final triumph for the Vikings. Beneath a towering ornate dome walk rough souls raised in hard places. Gold, jewels and vestments of finest silk surround them. The air is heavy and heady with incense. A leader seeking a new faith puts the great religions of the world to the test. Charmed by the East, the Rus put themselves on an orthodox path. Next time in my love letter to the world. To help support this podcast and to get access to new and exclusive history and comment vodcasts every week, sign up to my Neil Oliver Patreon site. It would be great to see you there. Check out the Instagram account called Neil Oliver Love Letter. My YouTube channel is simply called The Neil Oliver Channel. And to help build this podcast, please tell your friends about it, get them listening, and write a review to convince the online crowd to join us. For further reading about these moments in time, you could try my book. It's called The Story of the World in 100 Moments, and it's published by Transworld. Neil Oliver's Love Letter to the World is produced by Neil Oliver and Paul Ratcliffe for Catnip Inc. Music is composed by Milo McKinnon. Social media and YouTube producer is Oscar CFR. Additional research is by Evie, Lucian, Archie and Teddy. Finance is by Catherine and Trudy. Post-production is by Althorpe Studios and the graphics are by Paul Plowman. Thanks for listening. This has been a Catnip Inc. podcast's production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.